Hi and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of young adults living in Montreal who meet together to talk about what it means to be a Christian. The podcast today is a sermon from our series on the basic beliefs of Christianity. Hope you enjoy. collection of thoughts than it is a real message. Um, I just had a few things I was praying over today and I wanted to share with you um, because they, they're exciting. <laughs> so I'm so grateful to be uh, able to witness you guys and Alex um, coming to this wonderful, wonderful step of, of obedience. And uh, I want to encourage you and I encourage all of us uh, with a message that I think just echoes a lot of what you guys were already speaking of. And so uh, the title of the uh, collection of thoughts is A Child of God. And it uh, comes out of um, John chapter 1, verse 12, which is one of my favorite uh, Bible verses. And if you want to memorize your very first Bible verse, Yan, John chapter 1, verse 12 is a great place to start. But I'll start with a story. And um, when I was young... I, I don't know how old, I, maybe it was like 10, something like that. Um, I was out on a very big lake uh, with some, of, some friends of mine uh, and their parents. And this was back when I lived in Zimbabwe. And in Zimbabwe, there's this massive lake called Lake Kariba. And it's very customary there that you take a houseboat, which is just a boat that is long and boxy. Sorry, so tall and boxy, and it putters really slowly across the, the lake, and you sleep on it, and so you can go like multiple days all the way around, and there's a kitchen on it, and it's really cool. But what we had with us, we had this houseboat, but we also took along my rich friend's um, little inflatable dinghy. It was this sort of, uh, it was called a rubber ducky. It's like this semi-inflatable boat that had a 15-stroke engine on the back. And I know that means maybe very little to you, but it's way too big an engine to be on the size of this craft. It needs like a four, like a four horsepower engine. It has a 15 horsepower engine. It was super fast. Uh, and so we, children, were on this thing. It was me, my friend, his bit older brother was driving, and I forget who the fourth person was, but there was a fourth person too. And we are now, uh, the houseboat is like ages away from any kind of dock. We're just in the middle of this, like we're, we're on like a, the edge of this lake, but we're in the middle of nowhere. There's bush everywhere. Um, and so we took this, this rubber ducky on a joyride around the area. And so we're just sort of like burning around uh, this area going super fast. And so we're all like holding on to this rope and going faster. And then all of a sudden, as we're going, there was a panel at the front of the boat that just just flicked off like it just shot it was at the bottom and it just shot like a rocket behind us and it was almost that comic moment where all four heads went and looked behind us to see what just happened and all we see is this sort of big panel just flapping and then splashing in the water and then all four of us spin around and look at the front and there's this massive hole in the front of the boat that's just gushing water into it now and we're like Oh no, <laughs> what do we do? And this is like very, very infested water. Like there's hippos and crocodiles everywhere on this lake. But we know that they're in the area. Like we've been, we've seen them that day. And so now we're faced with this really big decision that our 10-year-old selves have to make. And the question was, right, do, we, do we head for land, which is closer than the, the houseboat, or do we head for the houseboat? Because this is all happening, you know, seconds are passing where we're like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Should we go this way? Should we go that way? And 
so it, if we went for land, it was closer. We were more likely to make it to land. But if we went for the houseboat, it's more likely we're going to get help because if we go to land, who knows who's going to find us and how long it's going to take them to find us. And as infested as the water is, there's also buffalo and elephant and all kinds of junk around there. So it's, not, it's no picnic walk to just wander through this bush. And we decide, okay, okay, let's just go to the, the shore. And so he just floors this engine as quickly as he can to try to beeline for the shore. And as we're going, the, wa- the water's just coming up and up and up, and we're taking our hats off and trying to like bail it out. And it's like, it's pointless. The hole is enormous at the front of the boat. And we're all like huddled to the back of the boat, trying to lift the front up, and it's just nothing's working. This boat's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And this engine is straining as much as it can. And the boat's just sinking, sinking, sinking. And we made it to land, like literally like touching the doink. And like, it's like, that's done. Like the engine was, we drifted to the land and we stopped there. And, and then we just, and thankfully, like, you don't know, but thankfully, like the people on the boat noticed that there was a problem and it didn't take them long to come and get us. But if we, we just made it. So if we had tried to make it to the boat, we would have sunk. Like we would not have made it to the, the boat in time. Uh, and it would have been, uh, who knows what happens after that. Now your children stranded in the crocodile infested water. And there's very few moments in your life that you're called upon to make critical life and death kinds of decisions. And who knows if that was one. But it certainly felt like one. One in which that, you know, the decision we make here can really, really lead one way or the other. It's a, it's, it's a dire decision that you have to make. And we don't have very many decisions that we have to make like that. I'm reminded of uh, other stories of survival. There's, uh, when I lived in Australia, that you would every, every so often get these stories of people who would, their car would break down in the middle of nowhere. I mean, in Australia, it's very easy to be in the middle of nowhere because there's lots of it. And when your car breaks down, you can literally be on roads that no one else will travel on that road for days. And so do you, do you stick with the car or do you go walking to see if you can make it somewhere and find someone to help you? And that's a life or death decision because depending on which one you choose, it may lead to rescue or it may lead to you dying in the desert. These crazy, sort of big, pivotal moments in life that you have to make these really critical decisions. And what we are witnessing tonight is really the fruit of three people who have made a decision that we, myself included, when we make the decision to follow Jesus, we are never aware of just how much of an important decision that is how much of a life-giving decision that is, how much we are being rescued from and protected from when we make that decision. I think some people are somewhat aware of that, and the reason we come to make that decision at all is because we can detect something is deeply amiss within us, and we know that Jesus Christ is the answer to that. And so what we've witnessed tonight is three people who have made the smartest, best decision that you could possibly ever make, the wisest, most life-giving decision that is possible to make. And so congratulations to you three who have made this incredibly smart decision. What you have done is heard the gospel's pronouncement and said, you've heard Jesus calling and said, I want to follow. I hear him. I hear what's on offer, and I want that. And so the reason I chose John chapter 1, verse uh, 12 to be the verse of the day is because it speaks to the wonderful thing that has happened in your life. And so we're going to start in verse 9. 
But the real key is, is in verse 12. So John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let's pray. We are, if we are your children here today, Lord, we just want to humbly thank you for that wonderful, amazing gift. We thank you so much, God, that you have brought such an incredible salvation to us. And Lord, as we reflect upon it now and seek to deepen our understanding of you, ourselves, the nature of our salvation, we ask, Lord, that you would make this exercise fruitful, would help us and grow us in this pursuit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a really loaded passage. I mean, from verse 9 to 12, it, it speaks of a lot of things. There's so much theology that's being unpacked here. The first thing it speaks of here is the nature of our problem. We are lost to such degree that even though the, our own maker, God himself, steps into this world, many people just simply don't recognize it, don't see it. When they hear the gospel, they don't understand it. And, you know, everyone that I speak to about what, what is sin, what I know to be sin, and yet when I speak to many non-Christians, I won't call it sin at the outset because it's not a, a word in their vocabulary. But I'll speak to a lot of people about just the problem. Like, do you think there's problem, a problem with humans? And everyone says yes. Like, I've never met anyone who won't admit that there is problems with humanity, that we're deeply flawed in one way or another. And so it's a good way to start a conversation. Well, what do you think the problems are? And people will speak to what they believe the, the problems are. And somewhere in the conversation, I'll refer them to this really famous part in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, where Paul says something to the effect of this. He says, you know, even though I know what's good, and even though I want to do good, I keep finding myself doing the evil that I don't want to do. And I'll, I'll bring that up in conversation and say, does that sound like you? And everyone's like, yeah, that's, that's me. You know, I, I know what's good, and I want to do good, but I keep finding myself not doing it. Instead, I do the opposite of that. Because everyone has the sense about them that you know, they really know they should be doing better than they are. They could be doing better than they are, than they ought to be doing better than they are, and then they're not. They're not living up to it at all. And everyone's aware of these problems that humans carry, that this brokenness that we have inside us. And so as a result, everyone's kind of looking, sometimes not, sometimes very passive about it, but everyone's hoping that there's some solution out there. There's something we can turn to that's going to give us that, that extra thing we need, be that missing piece to, to fill in the gaps. Whatever it is, people are looking for it. And, and what I liken it to is, is man, the, the conversations I have over and over again, I liken it to, you know when you lose your keys? And so you've got to get out of the house in a hurry and you can't find your keys or, or your wallet or whatever. And so you think, okay, is it over there? And you, and you, go, you go check the, the, the key 
plate. It's not there. And you're like, oh man, is it in my jacket pockets? And you check your jacket pockets. It's not there. Oh man, is it over there? Is it over there? And you do the circuit around your house where you can check like four or five places and it's not there. And you, and you look at all the places and you think it's not there. What am I going to do? And you go instinctively go back to the first place. You're like, okay, maybe I didn't look hard enough in the key plate. And you go back to the key plate. And then you go back to the jacket pockets. And then you go back to the dresser table. And even though you know you were there 30 seconds ago, you know it's not there. But you're like, maybe it's there. And it's not there. And this is the, the, the carousel that we're on as the human race. Just round and round and round we go. What's wrong with us? How can we fix this? Well, let's, let's turn to education. Nah, it's not really doing it. Let's turn to enlightenment. Nah, it's not really doing it. Let's turn to this. Let's turn to community. Let's turn to that. Let's turn to this. And we're going around this circuit. And I see it in people's lives. And I, people I've known for years now, and when I see them, man, every time I see them, there's some scheme. Oh, you know, how's life? Not good. Okay, but, but you know, I'm, I'm working on this thing. You know, I, I feel like this is the thing. And I know it's not the thing, but they don't see it. See, the Bible explains this problem to us, and it's illustrated here in this passage. The Bible uses a few words to sort of describe the problem that we have, and the problem is sin, but the word that we use to describe it, the Bible uses to describe it, excuse me, is words like blindness or lost. Those are two common words that the Bible speaks, speaks us, to us about this problem, that we are lost. We're blind. And we see that going on in this passage. These people, Jesus comes to them and they don't, it's light. He is the light of the world. And they look at him and they don't see it. They don't see what it is. See, everyone may see the problem, but not everyone welcomes God's solution. It comes, I'll admit, with a pinch. It comes with a laying down of self. It comes, as Jan said, with some fear. Comes with, as Alex said, some willingness to let go of your desires and hold on to his. It comes with a pinch. And often when we want change, we want it on our terms. Yeah, I'll change, but I'll do it at my pace. I'll do it the way I want to do it. I'll do it according to my needs, my desires, my comfort level, my power level. And if we want to change that way, and that's basically all we look for to try to change us is something that we can still control, something that we are still in charge of. And we're lost. And lost looks a lot of different ways. We had three testimonies tonight of three people who were equally lost. But if you look outwardly in their life, I mean, their life was different. Some coming from Christian homes, some coming from non-Christian homes, some from this kind of background, that kind of backwards. You know, if you're in a forest and there's one path through the forest and you're not on it, I mean, you might be in all kinds of different situations, but you're just not on the path. And because of that, you are lost. You might be on a mountaintop. You might be stuck in a river. You're just lost. And that's where we're at. We are lost. We look different we trail off at different parts. We find ourselves in different situations, but we're lost. And until we find that one right path, we're in serious trouble. It's a matter of life and death. We are really, really in a big pro have a big problem. And so the whole point of John chapter 1 is looking at the situation in which God looks down at this broken, sinful, lost world and he looks at this world and he says, you know what? I'm going to give it a gift. I'm going to give it a gift. Isn't it the wonderful nature of God? 
He looks at us, sinful, lost, broken as we are, and he says, I just want to give them something. I just want to help them. And he comes in and he gives us this opportunity, this offer, one that if we recognize it, if we see it, oh man, it's huge. It's everything. It's this unconditioned gift. You have to do nothing to receive it. It's a gift. You have to do nothing to receive it. You have to be nothing special to receive it. All you have to do is say yes to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. He gave it to us. He gives us the right to become children of God. There is this undoing that happens when we accept the gospel. That it just has to happen. The first, and something you guys really hit out the nail on the head tonight in your testimonies, was the, there's two phrases which Timothy Keller uses often in his sermons, and I like them, so I use them too. And he says two things. He says, Jesus had to die for you, or Jesus was glad to die for you. And the fact that Jesus had to die for you meant that your problem was so bad, so severe, that there was nothing you could do to get out of it on your own. You had to receive it as a gift. There's no righteousness that you can hold on to anymore. So all pride is gone. There's no pride anymore. There's nothing I can be proud of. Christians are not, necess- are not only Christian because they repent of their sinfulness. Christians are Christian because they repent of their righteousness. They repent of the reasons they've used to call themselves good. They recognize, I'm not good, certainly not good enough. I repent of this. Jesus had to die for me. There's no other way that I could have been made right with God. And so it, it, it just crushes that pride that is so much a part of who we are. But then Jesus was glad to die for us, that it was his joy that you would be with him, that he comes into this world as a gift to us. And so it melts any sense of shame we have about us, any sense of guilt that remains inside us, to know that he did it willingly. He did it with arms open, wide, full of mercy to receive us. He did it. And so no more do we feel like we need to cringe and hide away from God because he was glad to die for us. And so by receiving this beautiful gift of God, we become members of God's family, adopted in all the blessings that come with being adopted into a family of relationship and, and just joy and comfort and security come to be ours as well. You have now this amazing new relationship with God. The same John who writes this passage later in his life, towards the end of his life, when he's been a Christian for decades and decades now, will write again one of my favorite uh, pieces of scripture First uh, John chapter 3, verses uh, 1 and 2, he says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. It's hard to see it, but what John is speaking of there, it's being spoken of with such a sense of joy and wonder that even decades after becoming a Christian, John can look back and say, I still can't believe it's true. 
I still can't believe that he's done this for me. That is the appropriate reaction to the gospel. To say, man, I get this. I get to be a child of God. I get to be in his household. I get to know him and have my sins forgiven. This is the wonder of God's grace. We accept it as a gift, knowing that it's totally God's work. Your sin is inescapable without it. And to know that it comes anyway fills you with gratitude. It consists of this relationship of understanding, loving, pleasing, and growing. I mean, read First John. It's all about this relationship of, of learning to grow and learning to, to obey and to love as a response of the, the gospel. To know that it's a gift, that it comes to us as a gift, and it is this new relationship that we receive, this new status as children. It changes the way we worship. It changes the way we pray. It changes the way we obey God. It changes the way we learn about Him. And, and it all is done with this, this beautiful covering of the anticipation of what it's going to be like in the days to come where we get to see Him face to face. It's incredibly important that we understand this at the outset, that you understand this at the outset, that what you are going into is totally God's work. He rescued me. He saved me. He adopted me. He ransomed me. And the reason this is important is because as a Christian, doing good is not the focus. Being grateful is the focus. And out of that gratitude will pour forth goodness, good works. But if your focus is, I need to hit the mark, then you're just, you're robbing yourself of the power and of the priority of the Christian life. The Christian life, the power comes from that gratitude. Gratitude is buried at the heart of Christianity. Rebecca McLaughlin says this, gratitude is not a technique. It is a deep disposition towards the life-giving God. I've got lots more quotes to come, yeah. <laughs> There's the sense of, deep gratitude that lies at the heart of every Christian. That It's from there that our life pours forth. Another really uh, amazing preacher says this, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, sometimes I think the whole secret of the Christian life is to know how to use the word therefore. The Christian life is in many ways a matter of logic, a matter of deduction. The word therefore is used at these critical junctions all the way throughout the Gospels, all the way throughout the, the writing of the New Testament in particular, where the writers will speak about the magnitude of the Gospel, just how big and huge and amazing it is. And then there will be this little word, therefore. Therefore, live your lives holy and pleasing to the Lord. Therefore, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. It's all about that word, knowing how to use that word, therefore, seeing the greatness of what it is that's happened to us and allowing it to do that work of turning our heart upside down and saying, well, if that's true, then man, my only, the only right response, the only natural response, the only rational response would be to just give, to just give, because I got so much from him already. Last quote, Dane Ortland says this, In short, it is impossible for the affectionate heart of Christ to be over-celebrated, made too much of, exaggerated. It cannot be plumbed, but it is easily neglected, forgotten. We draw too little strength from it. 
the greatness of the heart of God is really the strength of our life. The strength of our obedience as Christians will depend on how much we see his friendship towards us, his mercy and love towards us. When we place our allegiance to God, we place it with knowing that he is our friend and we trust him because of that, that no one has done more to, to earn your trust than him. And out of that, a relationship with God begins. You're adopted into the family. The prodigal son returns home and you are lavished upon. Uh, you know, angels worship, uh, sorry, angels celebrate over your return, as Naomi brought up. The effects of this are not just that we obey God. And we look, there's more to it than that. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 are these passages which speak about the treasure of Christ, that he is this incomparable treasure. The Christian life is one in which you can say with confidence that on the day that I lose everything, that if I, ha- if I face a day in which I have to give up all of my earthly dreams and pleasures everything that I aspire to, all my relationships, I have to give up all of that, and all I gain in return is Jesus, then I'll see that as a win. And I'll see that as gain. And on the day we die, we don't look back with regret and lament over all that we are losing, but we look forward and say, oh man, what is to come is going to be so much greater that this world cannot satisfy my deepest desires. Only Christ can, and He is And he continues to all the time. That is the nature of Christian hope. A better question to really know whether or not you are part of God's family is not asking yourself the question, is Jesus my Savior? Is Jesus my Lord? Ask yourself the question, is Jesus my treasure? Is he the thing that I know is the best thing in my life? Is incomparably great? That's a good indication of whether you know him or not. Do you delight in God? There's a big difference between following a set of beliefs and experiencing a relationship in which we have been given as a gift, adopted into the family of God. He died to bring you to himself. That was his goal. Now we, in return, give ourselves up to him in order to bring him glory and bring ourselves closer to him in return. So as you embark on this amazing journey, we're going to be praying for you. And we hope that each and every day you will discover what we have, to one degree or another, all discovered. That Jesus Christ can be your treasure, and he really, really ought to be too. Let's pray. We thank you so much, God, for the way that you come and you give us gifts. And you give us yourself as a gift. What a tremendously amazing God you are, beyond words, beyond comparison. We ask, Lord, that as we go off now our separate directions into the cold Montreal night, that you would still warm our hearts as we are alone, as we are separated. God, may you be with us in the wonderful way that you are. And may you bring us together as a family once again so that we might continue to celebrate your truth. And we pray for our three brothers and sisters here. We ask, God, that you might help them to embark 
on this wonderful journey, knowing that in you they have all they need for a life that would be truly satisfying and wonderful. And God, I pray that you unfold yourself before them in the most wonderful way. We ask this all in Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our treasure's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can find us on the website peoplesmontreal.org. There you'll find information about where and when we meet, as well as a catalog of past sermons and other resources. Hope to see you soon. Thank you.